But I think there's been this fear that exercise is somehow going to be dangerous. Uh, and it's quite the contrary. After that first day, when they say you have cancer, there's a new person born. You know, there's this thing called new normal. I, th I think they don't really maybe understand how much it's going to help them. Each patient and each survivor is going to be experiencing different side effects, different experiences. The positive is that it's, it's never too late. Welcome to the REACH podcast, where you'll hear from researchers, doctors and patients themselves on how exercise, nutrition and lifestyle behaviors can reduce cancer risk and improve survivorship. I'm your host, Kieran Fairman. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 9 of the Reach Podcast. In today's show, we're going to do part 2 of the Matt Lampson interview. If you remember from episode 5, Matt talked a lot about his initial diagnosis, the struggles he had during treatment, just regaining his health, trying to get back playing soccer. In the second part of the interview, we focus on Matt's journey towards being a professional soccer player and some of the struggles he's faced in terms of his fitness still 10 years on from treatment and some of the late effects of, of treatment. We also talk about the different environments he's been in, in terms of the support he's received and the understanding of his cancer diagnosis. And then we also talk about some really cool stuff he's got going on with his Lampstrong Foundation. One of them being the Hero Program, where he takes a childhood cancer patient or survivor onto the pitch after one of his games and they get to meet him and, and all these other people. So just a really cool experience for these people who are going through a lot. And we also talk about some of the really cool initiatives he's got going on at the Chicago hospitals where he's trying to develop fitness programs for kids both during and after treatment. So really cool stuff. And I think you'll really enjoy hearing all the cool things that Matt's got going on with, with his foundation and, and everything he's got going on right now. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the show. So co-freshman of the year 2009. Yeah. All uh, Big Ten 2010. Yeah. Flying in college. Yeah. You know, it, looking at it on paper, it's like you never look back. But that doesn't talk about the ups and downs during it. Uh, let's talk about some of the side effects you're experiencing during college. Mm. With that, at what point did you start to shift and say maybe I can make it as a pro? Was there doubts as a as a result of treatment and your side effects, and, and how did all that work? So, um, side effects in college were actually pretty minimal. Like I said, the biggest thing, because uh, at that point, I was about three or four years out of treatment. At that point, the only thing that was really hindering me was just aerobic fitness. Um, and this has nothing to do with cancer treatment, but just my nutrition in general. Like, I'm very, very serious about my nutrition now, but back then I was just in college just crushing whatever I wanted. <laughs> um, what was your go-to Scooby snack? Uh, I loved pizza, man. Yeah? I mean, I still do, but I loved pizza. Best place in Columbus. Ugh. Um depend base best place on campus is probably <laughs> you have an on and off campus yeah, absolutely <laughs> okay I like dewey's i like uh de carlos pizza and hilliard is big time but um it just depends on what what mood i was in you know, I do you, i man. want sicilian do i want wood fire do i want, <laughs> do, I want do i want artisan do i want just greasy cheap pizza yeah we're i don't discriminate <laughs> i don't all right let's back out this rabbit hole real quick yeah, before absolutely. we okay so um so, so I really started to focus on, on, on nutrition as well. Um, and what's crazy, what's, what set me apart going from like freshman year into my sophomore year where I really started to excel is just the seriousness that I took my craft. And 
the focus that I had to be the best I could be. And after my freshman year, and I did really well freshman year, um, I was like, I can be even better next year. And that's when I really started to crank it up. And I started to tell differences between myself and my college teammates that I was like, these guys aren't taking it as seriously as I do. And I started to see my play start to skyrocket. And theirs were just like, they were, they were doing fine, but they were just doing what they've always been doing. And after my sophomore year that I just really blew up, that's when I was like, I might be able to do this for a living. Um, and I knew that there was interest from a lot of teams, uh, particularly Columbus as a homegrown. And after my junior year, or during my junior year, I pretty much knew that I was going to go pro. Um, so I, I was taking full load classes year round so I could graduate after my junior year and ended up graduating with a degree in biology and Latin. Uh, big emphasis on, on cancer biology. Uh, that's what I would, probably would have gone into post-collegiate career if I hadn't gone pro. Um, that's why you and I get along so well. Because um, <laughs> we're nerds. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's funny because growing up, my whole family, my, my father's a doctor, my mom's a nurse. I've got three siblings. Two are oncologists, and one is uh, an open-heart surgery perfusionist. So the whole family's in medicine. And when I go to college, my dad's like, you're going to college to get a degree. Um, I, I will, I'll never say that, uh, they did not support my, my, uh, professional aspirations when they were realistic, but like, cause, cause obviously they were taking me to soccer practice when, when I was five years old, to whenever I could drive and they were paying for it, they were supporting everything. But that's just in terms of a development as a kid, you know, you want them to be happy. You want them to give them things that they enjoy and harness and, and nurture their attributes. But I distinctly remember, I don't remember which one said this, but they were like, you're not going to pl play pro. So you need to go to college and get a degree. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but I took college very seriously. I took my academics really seriously. Um, some classes more than others, because if I found it interesting, I would take it seriously. I mean, if I'm in, uh, God knows what, um, liberal studies or something like that. I don't know. I'd be like, all right, I'm not going to this class, you know, but, uh, after my freshman year and the start of my sophomore year, I was like, I think I can do this. I think I can do this. And then junior year, like I said, I knew I was going to go. Um, and after my junior year, I signed, uh, after my junior season. So it was, I graduated in the fall and then I signed with Columbus and then I started playing with them the next year. So uh, when you signed, was there anything with, with the cancer in the back of your mind saying I came that far yeah, or was it? So one of the things I was really concerned about is I knew like we didn't do a, a, a ton of fitness at Ohio state. I was in very good shape for relative to my situation and relative to other college soccer players. But I knew I was terrified. I was like, well, at the professional level, I know they run their dicks off and like they're doing fitness all the time and they're running beep tests and if you don't hit 16 on the beep test and you're not even going to make the things like that and after my my niu incident that i couldn't even pass the fitness test and i couldn't even dress i was like what if they just cut me so i was terrified but then i found out in the pro sports that you're a goalkeeper and you don't run so why would we make you run and i was like wow that's really logical why doesn't anyone else think like that? <laughs> <laughs> so i i i literally had 
I think I I think we ran the beep test, but like I was the first one out, and Chad Marshall was like, "Thank God, so that I could drop out with you." <laughs> so like it it was, I mean they didn't care about the goalkeepers, they really didn't, and that was such a relief to me because obviously you know how much I care about my fitness and how seriously I take it, but I didn't want people to think like, "Wow, he he just doesn't care. He came in out of shape." Because the, most people don't understand the the complications and the the horrible setbacks that you have to figure out and live with, um, regardless of how hard you work. Like uh, I I tell people all the time, like I was like, yeah, people always say anybody can run a marathon if you set your mind to it, and I'm like, I'm not so sure I could. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and and. Uh, the mindset of the coach is very important to realize the type of player they have, his mindset and how serious it is at his craft. It's not going to be his fault if he does not perform aerobically like you want him to. Yeah. How is that um, this point, three or four years out of treatment for all intents and purposes, you look better and you look recovered. Mm -hmm. How, how is that for you then? I mean, you know what you're going through and anyone that knows you tough as nails, and such of emphasis on fitness how is that i mean we talked about this before we went live for people to think have that perception that you're dogging it when you're you're at the peak of your relative fitness yeah and it is incredibly frustrating and demoralizing because uh what i would do every single year is go to my athletic trainers and i'd be like listen this is my history here's my vo2 max you know uh because i remember that i was forced to get a vo2 max because coaching staff thought that I was just faking and just not caring you know um what was it out of interest do you know my vo2 yeah I don't know the number but I remember where I landed and it was like you have a good aerobic fitness and (laughs) I was like okay so how much I work out and how and I'm a professional athlete I was in like the for an average person you're really good and then they have like here's here's professional athletes and I was like I'm not even close to that you know and uh and so it it just proved to me i was like you know if people were working out and doing as much fitness that i do they're gonna have a lot better of a vo2 max than i have uh and i was i was like my hemoglobin to this day is like a 14 which is fine obviously it's acceptable but if you want to perform at your highest level as a professional athlete most of those guys just naturally have a higher hemoglobin so it's it's incredibly demoralizing because you you want to shake them and be like i'm doing everything in my possibility to i'm giving you everything i have i don't have anymore and some coaches understand that some don't um the the coaching staff in chicago i remember last year we were doing fitness runs and i'm just sagging behind the pack but i'm just motoring through and they they gave me so much support and my team was so supportive because they know that because they accept it. And they're like, we know how hard that is for you, but you weren't giving up. You know, it's easy for you to just start walking or be like, Oh, I'm hurt. My knee hurts. I can't run anymore. And, uh, and that means a lot. That means a lot to, to, to me and anybody in my situation, just to, to get the positivity that they know that you're working your ass off and, and figuring it out yeah it's an interesting comparison because you've you've been on both sides you've Mm -hmm. been on the side that almost 
I don't want to say don't believe you, but don't believe you. Yeah. And, you know, to come up to a place like Chicago where there is that support, how has that sh- shift been for you mentally? It's huge because I don't even have to worry about it. And, and everyone knows how fitness-oriented I am just in lifestyle. They know how serious my diet is, um, how crazy my diet is. So even if I can't go out and run a six-minute mile – they know that they take – I mean, the coaching staff here in Chicago in preseason even said it to me. They were like, we don't need to worry about your fitness or your diet. We know how serious you are, and we don't need – I mean, they didn't say this part, but it's, they don't need me to to prove it by a VO2 max test, you know, and it's huge. It's huge and um, because now I don't even have to worry about that. I know that they know – I, I take it seriously. Uh, it'd be one thing if, like, I take advantage of that and I'm be like, all right, well, I'm going to start just not giving a shit anymore and I can I'll, maybe I'll put on 10 pounds and they won't notice or something like that. But obviously I'm not the type of person that would take advantage of that. But um, it's so nice to, to have that in the back of your mind that you don't even have to worry about what the coaching staff thinks of your fitness level. I mean, it, it speaks volumes of your, your mental toughness in that to go through the couple of years you went through where you feel like they, you know, there's no belief there and it's so much easier to say, screw it. If you don't think that I'm trying, I won't try. And I mean, the year I was with you, with the crew, just, you know, for the listeners to do, you have to drag them out of weight room <laughs> by, the, by the ankles, right. just, uh, you know, a fitness machine and... I mean, again, it ju- it just highlights how tough you are mentally to to be able to withstand that. And then, I, I mean, I think you're seeing a lot of the rewards now for getting through it and having that support system. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does that how does that look for you when you've been through what you've been through, and then someone gets a kick in the ankle and rolls around for twenty minutes? Oh, I I I get a lot of shit from my family if I ever use the cancer card. <laughs> so I never use the cancer card unless it's somebody that I know and I know well. So, uh, say there's a guy on my team that I know well, and he'll be like, oh man, I've had this sore throat for like three days and it won't go away. If I want, (laughs) if I want to say something funny, then I'll be like, yeah, man, I had cancer and that's all you need to say. And then there's just like, oh shit. Yeah. I don't like to do that, but it is really funny. Um, I have no problem making light of my situation now. Uh, even when I had cancer, like I'm, I was never the type of guy and obviously I'm still not the type of guy that doesn't want to talk about it. Um, I'm, I think it helps to talk about it. Um, I'm very candid with it. I'm very candid when I go to hospital visits or talk to other survivors or, or patients, I'm very candid with it because if you start dancing around things, you're not being fair to them and, and their expectations. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't fake anything, and uh, obviously I I play hard and I, I play through pretty much everything. So when people complain about <laughs> about an injury keeping them out for a long time, I'll be like, yeah, man, I had this thing called cancer, <laughs> and uh, and then they're like, oh yeah, it's not that bad. Um, but what does the what does the power of humor do for you versus taking it serious and being 
you know, as as straight edge as like I'm a well, you know what I mean? Very similar to to what I was talking about earlier is it's so easy to find negativity in it that what's the point in just bringing yourself down even more? Uh, my family during treatment would joke about it. You know, my my sisters, my sister to this day still does, and I don't take offense to it. I really don't. Even if you made a joke about it, I'd be like, yeah, it's funny. Um, but I know a lot of people are not like that. Um, and one of my mechanisms for life is just to make light of things that, uh, that are in a bad light. If there are obviously right now there's terrible immigrant issues and if I make a joke out of it, that's me trying to make the situation better in an effort to make the situation better. Obviously it's, it's very crude and I shouldn't, but that's kind of like a mechanism that I do. So I did, the, I do the exact same thing with cancer. Um, my girlfriend does not like that. She's not like that at all. But, uh, my exp my attempts at explanation of that have fallen flat and, um, it gets me in trouble quite a bit. I think aside from our nerdiness, our dark sense of humor is also <laughs> what keeps us together. Um, incredible story, dude. Incredible story. Is there anything you're struggling with still as a result of treatment 10 years ago? Um, like I said, it's the biggest thing is cardiovascular and pulmonary. Um, a huge change that happened that I haven't even mentioned, most people don't realize, is metabolically. My metabolism was absolutely destroyed. Uh, during treatment and after treatment. I know it sounds like a woman when I say, if I eat that cheeseburger, I'll gain five pounds. But if I eat that cheeseburger, I will probably gain two pounds in a day. And I know a lot of it, a lot of people will say it's water weight, but it is, it is, I, I've done extensive trial and error with this stuff. And that's why my diet is so damn restrictive and serious. Um, because it helps me on the field. Like if I, if I fuel wise, it's getting worse and worse as I age. Like if I don't eat the right thing, then I can't perform well on the field. So, um, metabolically it was, it was a serious, serious challenge and took a lot of years of trial and error to find out what was working best for me. And I don't know if the, I don't know the science behind that. I, I just know that it, seriously changed during treatment and after treatment but i don't know if you know more about that than i do but i wouldn't uh that's probably an rd and I, it might be as we talked about the the extent of the radiation because it was so gross and it wasn't as refined that mm -hmm. like you said maybe your thyroid took a hit but yeah i'm not willing to to put my name out there that's, say that's one of the things that they actually warned me about is is thyroid issues in terms of weight gain and uh metabolic rate and like I said, I'll eventually have to get it taken out because it probably will turn cancerous. And I'm actually really excited about the day that happens because then I can start taking thyroid pills and my metabolism is going <laughs> to just fire up. Nice. Um, but that's that's been a big one. Um, but other than that, I, I really I feel great. I'm almost 10 years uh, out now, and I feel great. Um, like I said, long-term side effects. I'm gonna have to. I have to keep getting EKG, echocardiogram. Um, I haven't had any heart issues, um, lung issues, obviously. I have horrible water retention, and I don't know why that is, but I never used to prior to cancer. But that's about it. 
<laughs> that's it just just all of those yeah, things just the horrible lung function and <laughs> that's it you're an absolute powerhouse and thank you uh you know for people listening there there's a certain type of person that gets this and just says you know what i'm gonna do whatever i can to beat it and and that's what you've done and not only that and you, you talk about being this big tough guy but you know you've set up this foundation and uh lamstrong i'll get you to elaborate a bit but anyone listening go onto the website and just look at the pictures of lamps down on one knee showing patients of eight nine ten years old his scars and what it does to them and the power it gives to them and and it i mean that's the main reason i came up here it's, it's such a powerful foundation and tell us why you set it up and what it's about uh you kind of made me tear i just with that explanation so thank you um <laughs> So when I was in college, I wanted to do something to figure out. The biggest problem was when I was going through treatment, I would see these kids. I knew exactly what was happening to me. I would see these kids that are two and three years old that all they do is go to the hospital. All their, their life is just the hospital. They, they don't know what it's like to be healthy. They don't know what it's like to not have to go to the hospital or get chemotherapy. That's what they do. And that killed me to see every day. Um, and I was like, I got to do something because these kids don't deserve this type of life. Uh, or the kids that are six years old and die because of leukemia and they literally had no chance at life. That's, it's horrible. So, and, and I wanted to help. So I started teaming up with Leukemia Lymphoma Society in Columbus during, during my college years and started raising money for them. So uh, I started Lampstrong, like started selling wristbands and donating all the money to LLS. And um, once I turned pro, I was like, now I need to really do something because the, the platform, I hate using the word status, but the status of a professional athlete is far greater than a lot of other opportunities um, to spread your message. Um, and instead of being like, political in that spotlight like a lot of people that I can't stand do I actually try and use it for good so what I'll do is I got with uh, Erica Kress with the Columbus crew and we started working on a 501c3 uh, it takes a long time and it's a pain in the ass um, but we started working through all the paperwork government paperwork and it took about a year but we were a certified 501c3 uh, nonprofit organization. So the Lampstrong Foundation is still going strong. Um, we do multiple events every year. Um, when I first started, it was it was a very slow process because I had, I was new to it. Difficult to find the donor base and and activities and things like that. But now I'm just I'm doing stuff almost every single week here in Chicago uh, for exposure, just helping people um, and and fundraising. Uh, you spoke about the the hero program, and that's that's one of the first things that I input when I started the 501c3 because it was free. Like you, it didn't take any money from a, a our 501c3 that barely had anything to actually help people. And when I started doing it, it originally was just Columbus Crew home games. I would bring a cancer patient or survivor out to the field with their family. I'd meet them. I'd talk to them. Um, take pictures, whatnot, and then that was it. And at one point, my parents pointed out, they were like, do you see what, what 
this means to these families? And I was like, no, I don't know what you mean. And it would probably, it was probably like the next hero that I had, you know, the mom just starts crying and, and the smile on the kid's face is, is just something that you can't replicate from any toy that he would ever get. And you, and my parents pointed out, they were like, you are giving not only the kid, but the parents hope you are a physical representation of what their kid can be when they're done with treatment. And it's not necessarily like they can be a pro athlete, which they can obviously a lot may be a lot hindered than that, but it's a, it's an analogy for what they can accomplish in their life, regardless of how, what their hardships are. And when you see these moms crying and the kids just look at me and they see that I have the same port scar that they have, the difference that it makes in their life and just the inspiration that, that it's able to give them and the hope it gives them that when I'm done with treatment, I can literally do whatever I want. It is heart wrenching that, um, you're not heart wrenching, but it's heartwarming and very humbling that, that I can have that effect on people. And if I just reach one kid a year, that's all I need. I, if, if I can change his mindset and his outlook into something beautiful, that's priceless to me. And I, I meet so many cancer patients and survivors that now can relate to everything, uh, whether it be around the same age. Oh, I was diagnosed at the same age. Oh, I'm a soccer player. Oh, I played sports in high school and I just got diagnosed anything like that and they can look to my story and find any sort of reason to be inspired it's priceless and um and like like you said the the pictures that you see just i mean these are things that these kids can look back on and be the reason why they uh accomplish the things that they want to accomplish and um it's by far the favorite thing that i do and Obviously now I've teamed up with Lurie Children's Hospital here in here in Chicago, and I donate a lot of money to them. Uh, and we're going to start doing uh, cancer-specific health events, um, physical fitness, things like that, um, to help people during treatment, in addition to uh, after treatment. And uh, so I'm just I'm just trying to do the best I can to make the the world a better place, you know. So we'll we'll talk a little bit more because I don't think you're doing yourself justice with what you're doing with the the Lurie Hospital. Um, but I mean, put yourself back in a six year old shoe, man, yeah. and how big adults look, and yeah, how yeah. how you know when you look at you see someone like you on TV, and then you get brought out to a stadium, and to have someone like you kind of jog over and take a knee, and they mm-hmm. see that they have the same scar as you yep. and y- you as as this authority figure in their life is like i got you it's it's good like the power that does man yeah and I, like i said i didn't realize that for a long time and i obviously you know me as a friend so it's not like and, and just in terms of lifestyle and everything i'm not really a, a typical pro athlete i find myself very normal and i'll talk to anybody so when I would meet these families, I didn't think of myself as like, I'm up here and you're looking to me for inspiration. But like you pointed out, that's exactly what it ended up being. Uh, it's not just like meeting a normal person. It's meeting someone that you can look up to. And uh, hopefully I've 
I've taken up that mantle well and I continue to help people. Is there a way folks can find you to get in touch with that hero program? Yeah, lambstrong.com uh, and you can just p- click contact and pretty much any, almost everybody that's contacted us in terms of being a, a hero, we've we figured out a way to do it, whether it's in a city that's close to you or in the city of Chicago or whatever it is. Uh, we got a guy coming from Louisville uh, and he's driving up to Chicago to be a hero. So it's very exciting how many people have reached out and, and how how many lives I've been able to touch. And I'm sure the people of Kentucky will appreciate appreciate you saying Louisville and not Louisville. It's it's a it's a point of serious yeah, a serious contention down I'm there. I'm a southern guy. I know Louisville. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's go back to this kind of healthy living initiative yeah. you're doing at at the hospital and. Um, you know, it's not just about the money. It's about the initiatives you set, set right. up. And so tell us a little bit more about um, what these patients are going to, you know, have. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it, uh, I wanted to instill the most bang for your buck. So uh, one of the cool things they have at Lurie Children's is they have their own uh, closed captioning, like, uh, broadcast system. And what we'll be doing is recording just healthy living initiatives on the TV that if you're like, oh, I'm, I'm in treatment, but I'm really concerned about my healthy living, I'm going to click on this, and then there's going to be tons of different things, whether it's videos of exercises, whether it's uh, articles on, on healthy nutrition or things that you can do at home. Uh, there's going to be 24-7 uh, access to uh, input for living a healthy lifestyle uh, and specific to cancer cancer treatment, so that's one thing that we're going to help. Because uh, I wanted I wanted stuff that they can access whenever they want, um, and so that's going to be a good one. I'll be definitely uh, recording videos and things like that. Uh, one Friday a month is a, a fitness Friday. Um, I can't always go, but there's big um, fitness specific activities that they do for the whole day. Um, and it's fun activities, just getting people up and moving instead of just laying in bed in their, in their, uh, hospital bed and, uh, getting people to do something, what they can do. Obviously some days of chemotherapy, you, you can't do anything or you don't want to do anything, but, uh, it's just giving these people options, um, so that they're able to take advantage of them. Uh, one of the really exciting things that I'm, that I talked to you about off is, uh, the physical fitness program that I'll be donating um, physio balls, therabands, TRX bands that they can have in their in their hotel room or take home both. And we're going to have uh, specific um, programs made specifically for cancer patients that they they can do whenever they feel like it. Um, and just to retain muscle mass, because like I said, you atrophy really bad when you're so sedentary. Um, and battling cancer in general, you're going to be breaking down a lot of uh, muscle tissue. So um, that one's very exciting. And also, uh, just specific to my situation as an adolescent or a, a, an 18 year old, the demographic between 15 and 22 or so is called AYA, adolescent young adult. And that's kind of like the forgotten group. It's, it's, there's a lot of, uh, six-year-old cancer patients that get a lot of help and and uh and attention adult cancer patients same thing but there's this group in between that 
is so vulnerable and and fragile of a of a social group that I'm going to be starting uh, activities for them outside of the hospital because I, I mean I don't want them to bring them back to the hospital, but whether it's going to a Cubs game and I invite as many as they want to come out to the Cubs game and just talk to each other, like just have a good time um, and uh, maybe learn one thing about long-term care, like, uh, like fertility. A lot of people don't think of, uh, of fertility post-cancer, very hot topic right now, um, in terms of storing eggs and, and sperm. So, um, just doing things like that for the AYA, uh, kids is huge because it's something that I didn't take advantage of when I was in treatment. Um, but I think is a great tool to have available um, to talk to a kid that is going through the same thing as you or went through the same thing as you, or, uh, you can mentor someone that's about to go through the same thing as you. It's, it's awesome. And just the relating factor, uh, I'm very excited to start doing that. I mean, not only a powerful story personally, but the stuff you're doing, I mean, our passions are so similar, but I mean, you're, you're really, setting the mold for what you know we we talked about it for a year and what i'd like to see done and and so it's it's just incredible to see you know everything you're doing um thank you so how can people you know get in touch with you or find you yeah lampstrong.com um or i mean a lot of people dm me on on twitter or instagram at lampstrong so uh it's not hard i'm definitely there um <laughs> but i'd love to hear from anybody uh whether it's a your story helped me or um I've got somebody that I'd love for you to meet or talk to or send a note to, whatever it is. I'm going to do my best to help, so uh, I'm always there. Brilliant. And I'll, I'll put those links in the description as well, and I'll uh, I'll uh, make sure to, to help them slide you some DMs. Yeah. Give me some DMs. <laughs> All right, dude, listen, thanks a lot for, for letting me take way too much of your time today. Oh, and um, yeah, thanks for sharing your story, man. It was incredible. You're the man. So that's it for episode 9 folks A really great chat with, with Lamps And I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did If you want to find Lamps You can get him on Twitter At Matt Lampson You can also go to his foundation website www.lampstrong.com And then you can find me on Twitter as well At Kieran Fairman Or go to reachbeyondcancer.com And you can follow me on various social media sites there So thanks again for tuning in folks And we'll see you next time <laughs>